Record. Helps if you push the button. Nothing like a bit of uh, Bruno Mars to get things started, mate. No, I like to. I like to be uptown funked as much as the next guy. <laughs> you know the problem with today's show. Mars? What I originally set out to do with this episode is not actually what we're doing. So, whoops. Oh well, that's good. I originally set out to do wartime treasure hunt movies, um, and I was going to tie that in with today's guest. It's Lewis Mandalore, whose new film is all about a race against Nazis to find buried treasure. Uh, but there's not not too many wartime treasure hunt movies around to choose from. Oh, there was like I think there are a few. I think it just requires a bit more time <laughs> spent on the old research. And when you factor in that we divvy this up amongst other people for the recommendations, it got a bit tricky. So I've narrowed it down to just treasure hunt movies. Uh, so you gave them an out. <laughs> like I had picked wartime treasure movies, and then in the group chat, I was like, "Geez, we haven't even." Haven't even started the week, and you've already like, oh, look, oh, it's a bit. This one's a bit hard. Just, uh, <laughs> just take it easy. Here's just, just do this one. Like, yeah. Why yeah. don't you just, just movies? That's just... the thing this week. Just, <laughs> just so search I, for movies. I thought, fuck it. <laughs> Have some Bruno Mars yeah. because the song is called Treasure. That's that. That's oh, is that right? Yeah. Uh, the only Bruno Mars song I know is uh, Uptown. <laughs> no, Uptown. that's Will, Will Ferrell or Ferrell Williams. That's the wrong. Or is it both? No, it's Bruno. Is it Bruno Mars? Does Uptown funk you up? Well, oh, yeah. Farrell Williams does uh, Happy. <laughs> Pharrell Williams. Pharrell. <laughs> I don't know these hip things. No. <laughs> I only know them for the 20 seconds on TikTok where a girl shakes her ass while he's singing. That's that's where I get my uh, hip things. Uh, uh, so, yeah. <laughs> well, hello to everybody listening. Uh, that's an interesting way to get things started. Thank you for pressing play. This is Good Movie Monday. And if it's your first time, Welcome. We we make no apologies. My name is Glenn Cochran, and sitting opposite me is Ben Halwig, uh, and you're in our hands for the next ninety minutes or so. God help you all. Got the whole world <laughs> in his hands. He's got the teeny bitty babies <laughs> in his hands. I just keep every time I think of that song, I think of Steve Buscemi singing it it's, in uh, Con Air. Yeah, and I think of um, Harlan Williams singing it in Rocket Man. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, for the benefit of those new listeners, the, the crux of this show is basically um, we pick a theme and then we, we recommend movies. Oh, the show in general, yeah, the yeah. podcast, not but, this, specific, yeah, this particular yeah, show. I, the numbers keep going up each week, so I'm like, we've got newbies, you know, so if they've right. never heard it before, this is their entry point. That's what we do. We if, this th- is, if this is week two for anyone, <laughs> let us know. Yeah. If you stuck, you listen to the first show and you stuck around for another one, we'd love to hear from you. Yeah, and if this is your first show, we have segments too. So they're coming up. We've got people like uh, Guillermo Troncoso from the, the movie and TV online outlet Screen Realm. He's going to cover all the bases of movie news from the past week. Uh, we've got Jarrett Garn coming up in a moment telling you what films are going to be released this week on physical media. That, that's a segment for the tragics, you know, that collect things like like you. <laughs> so what are you trying to say? Yeah. <laughs> 
I don't know. <laughs> and we've also got the three guys from Bonehead Weekly. It's a podcast in Kentucky. They're going to take over the mic for five minutes a bit later on and tackle today's theme, specifically wartime treasure hunt movies. So yes. they did stick to the brief. They did. <laughs> it was and just it was, me. It was just me. It was just you. And the, the beauty is when you listen to the show at the start, Joe is like, I think we're going to steal this theme. Yeah, we're going to do a proper one. I noticed that. We're going to do a Boneheads on it, which well, I can't wait to hear. What a wee bit of foundation yeah. for those guys. <laughs> just giving them, giving them ideas. Hey, real quickly, um, this weekend just gone. Yesterday wrapped up Monster Fest Weekender. Which, and what a weekend it was. Mate, and um, yes, you've got more of it though. Like, it's not the end of it. So next week, I believe, um, it takes off to Brisbane, Sydney, Adelaide and Perth. It does indeed. Around Australia. They get to experience all of its glory. And then the following weekend, which would be what, May 20, 22nd? 20 to the 22nd. Yes, we are transatlantic. Well, probably not. Just We're just trans we're over the pond. We're over the pond. <laughs> Trans-Tasman. Uh, for our, for our, I think it's, I'm pretty sure, and I'm sure like somebody will probably comment and correct me, but I'm pretty positive it's our first New Zealand Monster Fest. Excellent. Well, that's exciting. So, again, for the benefit of listeners, you come from the Monster Monster Clan. You you are putting on Monster Fest, and this is is this the first time you've done a, a mid year micro Monster Fest? Well, we've done things. We've had other events. We had uh, the traveling sideshow. That's right. And uh, we had horror for the homeless that we did a couple of times or one time. Yep. Uh, but uh, then they got folded in, and we. Uh, we made them, we turned MonsterFest, we just made it MonsterFest proper yep. and we went Australia-wide. Right. And I say Australia-wide, we used to be in Canberra as well, yep. but that the cinema closed down. Uh, not through any <laughs> fault of them. They are redeveloping the precinct and the cinema will most likely open again. It's mm-hmm. just not open right now. Uh, perfect job for COVID, really. It should be back up and running soon, hopefully, and we get back to Canberra. But um, but uh, so we had, and when, when it was the MonsterFest Travelling Sideshow, we spread it out like... Mm. If we do, you know, one city, a couple of months later, it'd be another city, a couple yep. of months later, it'd be another city. This is uh, the first time it's been everywhere all at once. Yeah, consecutively. Yeah. Excellent. Um, this is a, probably a good opportunity as well to promote ourselves because we did an interview with the guys behind the Pennywise Story of It documentary. We did that last week. It was on the show, but there's also a full video that's sort of been um, isolated from the show and you can watch us talk to those guys. It's a fun conversation. It's on all of our social media pages as well as our website. So there we go. Gratuitous plug. Done. And they're, they're super entertaining, those guys. Yeah. And they all have a background in, in DVD extra features, which is like those guys, talking to those guys is fascinating. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and they do reference a lot of those things, you know, in the chat. So if you're a, if you're a movie geek, why would you be listening to Good Movie Monday if you weren't a if movie not, geek? I have to say I'm still disappointed that <laughs> Leviathan is Hellraiser <laughs> and not the movie Leviathan. Because that was, I think, on the special edition of part one and two. Yeah. Leviathan one and two. Yeah. So that's but, I, but why is, where's the love for the film Leviathan? Well, that's a good point. Well, there's a market to be... Uh, to yeah. be tapped into there, mate. That's, uh, I might have to do it. I have to have a word. I have to have a word to uh, the guys at Umbrella. Like, let's <laughs> release a special edition of Leviathan. Yeah, that's right. Then when you find out what's involved, you're like, oh, fuck uh, that. <laughs> uh, maybe not. <laughs> All right. Well, let's let's get back to it. Do some treasure hunting, <laughs> if you will. Were treasure hunt movies and TV shows something that interested you as a kid? Oh, 100%. Yeah? Well, any 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 movie 
interested me in, as a kid. Because I mean, like, I mean, <laughs> well, you and I, picky. we're of the generation that had your Goonies and your Indiana Jones, um, and I guess those movies were sort of foundation for a lot of other movies. But they yep. were also, you know, derived from others. You yep. know what it was that really got me as a kid was the fantastic, uh, the Famous Five. The you, famous five. Yes. Love the famous yes. Five? The TV series. I'm we not are the famous, famous Five. Coming back to you. <laughs> <laughs> that influenced my life like you can't believe when I was that age. We lived next to a reserve that had creeks, had cliffs, that had all the things from those those stories. Yeah. And I used to live my after school life, my weekends, trying to emulate what those kids yeah. did. Exploring and, and uh, getting into adventures. Yep. And you, you'd, you'd find that one neighbor down the street who never, literally never did anything to you, but you're like, I'm sure he's got some bodies buried in. It's Bloody like the burbs. Here's you a, just didn't trust him. Here's a great story for you. So we found in the middle of a reserve, densely sort of forested, some previous generation of kids had been there before us. And we would, we would sort of assume that one of their dads had a bobcat or something, right? And he dug trenches, really deep trenches. They covered it with wrought iron and then soil and grass. So you couldn't see these things, but we found the entrance to it. So we had this whole network wow. of like tunnels and shit that we hang out, would hang out in all the time until one you know, pissed off neighbor from like over the, over the creek discovered it and fucking collapsed it all on us, you know. Not honest, but you know, <laughs> we rocked up one day and the fucking Grinch had filled it in. It turned into the lovely bones. Yeah. <laughs> Man, I just, yeah, I love that shit. <laughs> Exploring. Kids don't do it enough these days. That's it. I love those. Um, I think I, I may have talked about it on the show earlier, but I I love buying those children's television foundation yeah. box sets from the UK where it's all those movies are about yep. kids having adventures. Yep, totally. And it's, you know, busting sp- spy rings, searching for treasure, you know, all that sort of stuff. So awesome. And I find, I find that each generation kind of has their new interpretation of treasure hunt movies. Because, you know, as I said, we grew up with, you know, those movies, Goonies and um, Indiana Jones. Before that, you had the original King Solomon's Mines and Treasure Island. And, um, but now you've got your, your Pirates of the Caribbean, your Da Vinci Codes and Tomb Raider National Treasure. So I love that this is something that just keeps going on. Yeah. As long as there's treasure, there's going to be somebody who's willing to hunt <laughs> Yeah, that's it. right. Off the top of your head, can you think of any sort of modern day ones that feel new and fresh? Like an aren't sort of grounded in that lore of you know, pirates or... You know, something like that. Because I was thinking about that. And even though it's maybe 20 years old. What well, wasn't, isn't Three Kings? I was going to say Three Kings, Kings is one that kind of <laughs> strikes me, but also like Into the Blue, things like that. They're more modern. Although they're going after sunken treasure, right? That's, yeah, it's true. Like it, it all like derives back, know, doesn't it? That's what they're, yeah. It's a Boy in the Dolphin slash Moonspinners <laughs> ripoff. Yeah, it's true. Uh, oh, well, I'm, I'm keen to dive in. And this. that great, what's that Elvis Presley movie where he goes searching for, for buried, for oh. sunken treasure? Fuck, what is um, it? I don't know. And he has that, it's got that great song. He goes to the yoga studio to, to <laughs> look for this woman. And uh, he's got the song, Yoga is it yoga is as yoga does. That's, <laughs> and, it's, and it's him talking about how he's getting, you know, uh, twisted like a pretzel and stuff. Like he's singing it while wow. he's doing yoga. Amazing. That should be the name of one of his films, Twisted Like a Pretzel. But it's also one of those things like now, <laughs> now we think of yoga as like so mainstream. Like yeah, everyone's, yeah. everyone's done yoga. Yep. You know, wrestlers have brought out you know, <laughs> yoga tapes. Well, you talked about that zombie I, yoga last yeah, week. Yeah, zombie. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. And but in this one, it's all it's like hippies. Yeah, 
you know, like they've discovered it from, you know, someone, you know, you get a that yogi Indian from strum, India. You know? Yeah, yeah, the sitar's playing in there and <laughs> incense is burning and it's, uh, you know, yeah, it's Eastern philosophy. George Harrison's in the corner. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I am really, I'm really keen to get stuck into this conversation about uh, Treasure Hunt. First, let's uh, throw it to Jarrett, get him out of the way, you know. <laughs> no, I can't wait. I want to know what's coming out. I know, because you're one of those. I am. <laughs> Hey, this is Jarrett and welcome to PE Class. Now I'm going to start this week's segment with some news. And it's possibly the most exciting disc news of 2022 for me personally. And that is that Arrow Video in the UK have partnered up with Synapse Films in the US to release a 4K Ultra HD release of Dario Argento's 1982 Giallo classic Ten and Bray. Now they'll both be releasing in their respective territories on July 18th, but they're not only sharing the same 4K restoration, they're going to be sharing the same special feature content. This is a godsend for me because it's basically going to collect the special features of both releases and combine them along with some new content. Now both releases will also include an illustrated booklet with new essays, fold-out double-sided poster, replica lobby cards, and in addition to the original theatrical cut of Ten and Bray, the releases will include a re-edited version of the 90-minute US cut which was released under the title Unsane and they're going to be utilising the 4K restoration to do so. Pretty exciting news and I've got one thing to say about that and it is filthy slimy pervert. Also local news, Morbius is headed to 4K Ultra HD Blu-ray and DVD on July 13th. At this stage Universal Sony haven't revealed what special feature content will be on the releases. Then moving on to this week's releases, first up I'll go with Universal Sony. They're releasing Uncharted on 4K Ultra HD, Blu-ray and DVD, that's right, it's the Tom Holland starring video game to film adaptation. Admittedly I have not heard a kind word about it, but I've got a soft spot for Tom Holland so I'll definitely check it out, I mean he is Spidey after all. Now the 4K Ultra HD has Dolby Atmos, a commentary track, deleted scenes and six featurettes. Also from Universal Sony, they're releasing the Alfred Hitchcock Collection of Volume 1, which is technically Volume 2 in other territories because we didn't get Volume 1 that was released in the US and the UK locally, we just got them released in individual discs. So anyway, they're calling it Volume 1 here and this release is going to have Saboteur, Shadow of a Doubt, The Trouble with Harry, Marnie and Family Plot. Now unfortunately they're only getting a 4K release with no Blu-ray component which means we may miss out on some special feature content. Then moving on to Shock, they're releasing three new titles in their Cinema Cult collection this week. All three are getting released on Blu-ray and DVD but if you want a snazzy slipcover you're gonna have to pick up the Blu-rays I'm afraid. So first up is The Collector, a 1965 British thriller. Then we've got The Mind of Mr. Somice, which is a 1970 British sci-fi drama. And then last, we've got Love Story, which is of course that 1970 romantic drama that was doing Nicholas Sparks before Nicholas Sparks was around with Ally McGraw and Ryan O'Neill. Then the last release I'll mention is from Eagle Entertainment. It's Hell Hath No Fury and it's coming out on DVD. This is an action thriller that's set against the backdrop of World War II and it stars this week's guest, Louis Mandalore. Anyway, that's it for me for this week, so until next time, stay physical. Thank you, Jarrett. Um, I reckon I'm going to take the lead on recommendations. I'm going to go first. So I'm going to I'm going to drop some names at you and see if you can guess what the movie is. So if I were to say Donald Pleasance, Ken Wall, Leslie Ann Warren, 
this might give it away. Bruno Lawrence, Everett mm. D. Roche, and Anthony Ganane. Uh, 1981. I know. <laughs> I know it. It's a race for the Yankees FR. Yeah. David Hemmings. Talk about, like... Underrated gem as far as I'm concerned. This is a movie that is full of flaws. I, I completely forgot Donald Sutherland was in it. Donald Pleasance. Oh, Donald Pleasance. Yes. Oh, no, sorry. That's yeah. where that's where you threw me. I was like, Donald Sutherland. Did I say Sutherland? You probably said Pleasance. I and I, I just heard... Because I, I thought it was the first thing you said. Yeah, yeah. And, and, I, and that's I'm, where your mind went. Well, it's because it leads directly into my... <laughs> what my recommendation... One of my recommendations is. And I was like, are you oh, just... Yeah. Fuck you. Like, I've told you what I'm doing, right? <laughs> And you're just totally bigfooting me right at the start well, of the show. Look, um, <laughs> bigfooting you. Yeah. <laughs> I'm that delusive, mate. <laughs> so, like, as I was saying, for all of its flaws, because there are there are a lot in this film, it's such a classic throwback for me. It's the kind of movie that almost feels like one of those classic Disney adventures. Have you seen this? Or many years ago? Uh, yeah, like like I saw it when I was a kid. Hot tip, it is on YouTube and it is in high def and it is glorious. But um, it is essentially about an aeroplane back in the 1950s or sort of at the end of World War II um, that was carrying $15 million of aid to troops in the Pacific. And it took off from New Zealand, but it also went missing off the coast of New Zealand. Then it cuts to 40 years later and a couple of aerial deer hunters, which I didn't know aerial deer hunting was a thing until I was, you know... Is it like when you go... Pig hunting in a chopper. Well, yeah, they go pig. They go, they go deer hunting in a chopper. Not that I've ever been or would ever go pig hunting. No, in a but chopper. it's interesting the way they do it because they will spit those nets from a gun, you know, and trap them. But they also jump out of the helicopter like really low and tackle the deers. And this is all real footage. And I'm thinking Donald Pleasance did wake in fright, and they were doing roo hunting. And this one is doing deer hunting in New Zealand. But um, and this was also a real opportunity for him to bust out that accent again. Yeah. And I'll tell you what, the one word he can nail is bastard, and he just keeps saying it. It's bastard everything. This this deer hunt, I reckon for the first, for 10 minutes, it's like, get the bastard. Oh, look at that bastard. Have you seen the bastard? Like, is this constant? Being, like, in all fairness, though, to Donald Pleasance, that would have been the prime era of Bill Hunter. Yeah. And the Bill Hunter-esque Australians. Yep. Who were, who were basically piss-weak... Chips Rafferty Australians, but bastard would have been like, would have been their favorite word. Yeah, totally. Totally. I mean, and it was like, it was edgy then. Like you weren't allowed to, yeah, that's right. That was swearing. Yeah. But like you, you never would, they would never say fuck or shit. Yeah. Yeah. Or or any of those kind of, (laughs) bastard was about. It carried a lot of weight. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, when, that's when Jesus or or hell (laughs) was a swear word. In Australia, bastard and mongrel. You bloody mongrel. How good's mongrel? So anyway, these two deer hunters, um, they, they stumble across this this aeroplane off the coast of New Zealand, but it's rugged coast, and then they've got to devise a way to get back to it and, and get this treasure without anyone cottoning on. Arising the ire of the Nazis. That is right. There's no Nazis in this oh. one. But naturally, as it is in a movie, word gets around, and before long there is a big-time ruthless treasure hunter in town that tries to beat them to the chase. So it is the race for the Yankees FR. And the appeal to me here is it's kind of that exploitation movie because it was supposed to be shot in Queensland. And right. then there was some, I think what it, what it was, they wanted to import too many international actors and some guild forbid it. 
And so it would have been the the ten ba the offset. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So then Ganane's like, "Fuck it, we'll just go to New Zealand." Go and New that's Zealand. why they after, don't give a shit. That is why after that, he made like four or five movies in New Zealand, like Strange Behavior and things like that. Um, anyway, the cast is great. As I said, Donald Pleasance just ripping off these bastards is hilarious. I think, um, and also, what's his name? I said it before. Um, is it Ken Wall? From Wise Guy? Ken Wall from The Taking of Beverly Hills. <laughs> yeah. and, and Wise He's Guy. great in this. He's really good in this. But um And in decent favour. Where you see him <laughs> the best thing about him, I'm pretty sure it's Ken Wall. Yeah, yeah. You see him in Indecent Favour and he kind of Brad Pitt like he's opposite him. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, Brad Pitt with his shirt off during Thelma Louise, you you like like the guy's like <laughs> you know, cut, shredded. Ooh. He's you know, nothing but sinewy muscle. And, but there's a scene in Indecent Favour where he bumps into Ken Wall and it's like watching a little kid bump into his dad because Ken Wall <laughs> is like a big dude. Yep. And Brad Pitt is, in comparison, <laughs> like he's a big guy in Hollywood where Tom Cruise is like five, yep. you know, five, six. Yes. And so he's like, well, I'm a... But there, like, there was a time where this guy was big in but Hollywood, he, was right? He, Wise yeah. Guy. Wise Guy was the big show he was in, which is kind of like a... a but he's pre- a football player, isn't he? Isn't he? Like, no, 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 no. I don't think so. I mean, maybe. Fact check us if you're listening. But he um, he was definitely the, the lead in this show that was like a precursor to Sopranos because yeah. it was all about a cop infiltrating mafia. Kevin Spacey's in it. Oh, there you go. Um, anyway, he's the bad. I was Kevin wondering. The... I, I was wondering though, where where is this guy gone? And apparently, he had a massive accident. Um, what thirty years ago, and it ruined his career. He broke his back and was unable to work again. Yeah, right. So that's why he kind of fell off the radar. But I want to tell you the the most outrageous thing about this movie, because this would never happen in today's woke world. So <laughs> it's all about Bruno Lawrence's character's nickname. <laughs> Wait for it. So he's one of the henchmen. Is it the bastard? No, he's the, he's one of the henchmen of the uh, the 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 wealthy deer hunter, and in this moment of intimidation, the, the evil treasure hunter gives all of his henchmen names. Right, and he says, "You know, this guy over here, we call him Mister Broken Teeth," and then they call another one Mister Raptured Spleen. Then they look at Bruno Lawrence and say, "And this is Mister Rape Your Daughter and Assault You Unless You Play Ball." <laughs> <laughs> And Bruno's just there like, yep, not in the long. <laughs> anyway. Have you got a daughter? Race for the Yankee Zephyr. It is, you know, other than that nickname, it's a fairly family-friendly adventure. Uh, you know, like they... Well, you can't rape someone's daughter if they don't have a family. Am I right? <laughs> Am I right, eh? Oh, there uh. you go. It is uh, often in America called something else. Um, Race for the Yankee Zephyr. What was it? Hunt for the Yankee Zephyr, I think it was. Right. But it is well worth a look. Hit up YouTube and just watch it for free unless, you know... Every... I, thought it, I thought it'd come out. That's a surprise. Maybe, I mean, maybe on DVD. I don't think it has yeah, on DVD. Yeah, on DVD, I've got it on... I've, I do have it on DVD. But I would yeah. love it on Blu-ray. If it came out on under their little exploitation stuff, I'd definitely uh, buy it, that's for sure. So anyway, there we go. That's my first recommendations. And like you said, um, David Hemmings um, directed this one and he's a famous actor from things like Deep Red and... Blowout. Barbarella. First, I think... He was in First. I think he was, I think, and he was in, he's in Mean Machine. He's the warden in Mean Machine, yeah, yeah, which yeah. we talked about last week. Yeah. But I think this, like you can always, I, I like to, the David Hemmings career, I judge by <laughs> the uh, length of his eyebrows, like how, <laughs> yeah. how it's, bushy they've gotten. It's like how many rings does a tree Because he's like, what's that guy from June? Freddie, is it Freddie Jones? He plays like their kind of major domo, mm. the uh, tradies family major domo. He's got the. He's like he's the same race as um, Brad Dorif. Sure. Brad Dorif is the. Sure. I know the image, but yeah. I don't know the actor. 
but he's that guy. Yeah, yeah. And he has like the mass, the massive like curly eyebrows that are just going nuts every time. Back when I used to do such things, go to the hairdresser and you'd be like, oh, "Do you want me to trim your eyebrows?" And I'm like, "That's offensive." What's the? Uh, what are you talking about? Like they're not Freddie Jones eyebrows, mate. Once you turn thirty, they go Hemmings. in all directions. Yeah, and you can't really trim them easily. Like you know, you think it's as easy as trimming your hair, but it's not because once you trim one the wrong way, you're, you're screwed. Like I'm, like I'm, like. But my, like, I can see my eyebrows. They're fine. Yeah. Why doesn't he offer to trim the nose hairs and the ear hairs? Yeah, that's true. Maybe the, 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 they're the awkward ones. Like the ones that make you cry if you get it wrong. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Like, you, you know, if if there's another thing that TikTok is good for, it's those nose waxing videos when oh. blokes think it's a good idea. <laughs> they have <laughs> no idea. <laughs> How's it going, everybody? It's Guillermo here again from ScreenRealm.com, Australia's favorite entertainment website covering all things movies and television. As always, here to tell you a little bit about what we've covered on the website in the past week. Kicking off with a romantic comedy titled Maybe I Do, that's going to be starring Diane Keaton, Susan Sarandon, Richard Gere, William H. Macy, Emma Roberts, and Aussie star Luke Bracey. This is to be their featured directorial debut for writer and producer Michael Jacobs, whose producing credits include the 1994 film Quiz Show, and his writing credits include Girl Meets World and Boy Meets World. The plot is going to be following a couple, played by Emma Roberts and Luke Bracey, at a point in their relationship where they try to decide the next steps. They decide that it's probably best to invite their parents and to finally meet, and to offer some understanding of why marriage works, except that these parents already know each other quite well, which leads to some distinct opinions about the value of marriage. Warner Brothers has come out on top in a bidding war for a Jason Momoa project that's been tentatively titled The Executioner. The script comes from Kaz and Ryan Furpo, known for Marvel film The Eternals, and the plotline is under wraps, but according to Deadline, it's a fun action murder mystery in the spirit of Knives Out meets The Lord of the Rings. No director has been named as yet, so stay tuned as this potentially big one comes together. Another early package here, David Ayer, known for directing Suicide Squad, End of Watch, Fury and Bright. He's going to be directing an action movie titled The Beekeeper. It's going to be starring Jason Statham. Miramax acquired this project last year as a spec script written by Kurt Wimmer. Salt and Ayer is now on board to direct. Not too much to go on regarding plot, although as Deadline reports, it's a fast-paced action thriller steeped in the mythology of beekeeping, and it follows a man's personal journey of vengeance that takes on national stakes. And Meg Ryan will be directing and starring in a romantic comedy titled What Happens Later, and she's going to be starring alongside David Duchovny. The film is to be based on Stephen Dietz's play Shooting Star, and will have Ryan and Duchovny playing ex-lovers who find themselves together snowed in in transit at an airport overnight. They split up decades prior. Each one of course just wants to get home and have this night over and done with. The night has more in store than they planned. They find themselves reluctantly drawn together compelled to revisit their past along with what could have been and what might be again. This will be Meg Ryan's second film as director. Her first film was in 2015, it was called Ithaca. It starred Ryan, Sam Shepard, Hamish Linklater and it wasn't really well received and didn't receive wide distribution. Our writer Hagen Osborne reviewed Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness calling it an enjoyable, albeit shaky, Marvel adventure. Three and a half stars out of five stars for the latest MCU film. Go to Screen Realm, check out the complete review, no spoilers there. And as always, you can find your latest movie and TV news, trailers, all that jazz. Thanks again for having me, everyone. Catch you next week. So for my first uh, film I'm going to talk about, this is a film, funnily enough, that I heard the title song for 
years before I, I knew there was a movie. Mm-hmm. And then I I searched for the movie. And th- I did this thing that I think a lot of collectors and a lot of movie fans, uh, well, mainly collectors, I think, do, is that you spend so much time on the hunt for a movie. When you finally get it, you put it away and you don't need to watch it. Because you've, the fun, you've had the orgasm of finding <laughs> it. And so watching the movie, if it's not as good as you've built it up in your head to be, it's all just, you know, I like the correlation Afterglow. There. You called it a hunt. Like, you know, really yeah. on, on point there. So so this this film is from 1967. It's called The Corrupt Ones. Not The Crap Ones. Not The Crap Ones. The Corrupt Ones. You know, from time to time, I slur <laughs> and I have a slight lisp. And so I was talking about The Crap Ones and you thought I said Crap Ones. So you said Crap Ones. And I was like, Whoa. <laughs> Whoa! Wait what? till I wait. You haven't seen it. Wait what? till I tell you about it before you label it crap. What kind of judgment are you casting? Yeah. <laughs> but this, uh, so I've had this movie for years, mm-hmm. haven't watched it. Right. The song, the title song, uh, is by Dusty Springfield. It's an amazing track, mm-hmm. um, and it, she released it as the B side to like "I'll Try Anything," which I don't know. <laughs> I couldn't tell you what that song is off the top of my head, but you mentioned the corrupt ones. I could virtually sing the whole song for you. Well, I'm I like not going to do it. As if I didn't like Dusty Springfield enough already. She'll try anything. She'll try. Yeah. <laughs> I like her. She will indeed. She's just wishing and hoping, Glenn. I had a huge crush on Dusty Springfield when I was a teenager. So much so that I developed a huge crush on Wendy Stapleton because she played Dusty Springfield in a <laughs> cabaret show. And I went and saw that. Anyway, I digress. Uh, so, yeah, so look, the corrupt ones. Uh, also known as Peking Medallion, which is an odd title, uh, but we'll come to that. Uh, it's directed by this guy, James Hill, who was most famous for uh, directing Born Free. The movie oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, Born the movie Free. About which, the Lions. There was a couple of those. Um, There's like a double pack that you can buy from cash converters. Nearly every cash converters has one. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> At least one of them. And I always used to get it mixed up because Raw is the one that Melanie Griffith yeah, got yeah. Half, her, half her face ripped off for. And I always thought that was Born Free, but it's not. But Born wasn't Free. one of the sequels like um, Born Free, Live Free or something like that? I think one they come to Australia and run a farm. <laughs> right. The Lions. Uh, but he also he also directed uh, things like Black Beauty. Yeah. Uh, he did a lot of episodes of Wurzel Gummidge. Oh, uh, so he dabbles in horror. <laughs> he did uh, my favorite, my favorite, my favorite title that he directed <laughs> is "The Man from O R G Y." Mm. What a great title! That the Man a, from it's, the... <laughs> that's a great title. And uh, it, and he's got this other one uh, that I have to track. He's got a couple others that I have to track down. Oh no, hang on, that's the guy from the next film. Anyway, <laughs> blah, 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 blah. Uh, I thought he did Soul Madrid, but I'm, that, I'm glad I'm not the only one here, mate. Yeah, just uh, getting my notes mixed up. You often but... giggle at me when I do that. So, yeah. hang on a second. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I thought we had an agreement that you'd cut out my mistakes. Uh, but this, this, so this film, it stars Robert Stack, mm. uh, who most people know from... Unsolved Mysteries? Well, Unsolved Mysteries, yeah. He's the American Warwick Moss, as, as I used to call him as a kid. But he was, also, he was also Elliot Ness in The Untouchables. And he basically, it's like he did that role and then took the piss out of it for the rest of his career. Wasn't he an airplane? He is in airplane. Yeah. yeah, he's great. He's really, he's really good. Also, uh, Elka Summer and uh, and Nancy Kwan uh, kind of round out the female talent in this film. And it basically, it's about he's a, like a reporter in, and it's confusing because one of the alternate titles is is like I said before, the Peking Medallion. Mm. Another one is uh, the German title is something something in German Macau. Mm-hmm. 
the movie appears to be set in Hong Kong. <laughs> it's very confusing, but yeah. they're on the border between, as they constantly refer to it in the film, Red China. Like it's, <laughs> you can tell this movie's a sixties film because it's always Red China, Red China this, Red China that. Yes. Uh, but Robert Stack is like a. Um, He's like a National Geographic photographer kind of mm-hmm. kind of character, and the movie opens. The movie actually it opens with this really awesome uh, kind of fight to the death on a train in a train carriage, like a like a you know like a um, Oriental Express. <laughs> no, 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 like a um, like a hobo's riding the rails type, oh, yeah, like, like train <laughs> carriage kind of thing. There's livestock and hay on the on the We're ground and stuff like Pee-wee that. Herman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Totally, and they're like, this, and it's it's like a knockdown drag out. <laughs> All grey, how she the, eat what she used to. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Beating the shit out of each other, fight scene for this medallion, the Peking medallion. Yep. And the guy, the guy, uh, the white guy, luckily, or the actually his name's Mancini, so I'm guessing he's he's, he's European, but yep. he's 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 white in terms of this film. Sure. Uh, he wins the fight and escapes, but he's being chased by. The Chinese at the same time, Robert Stack is illegally taking pictures of uh, like Chinese military installations and stuff. Can't do that now, not that. No, it's against the rules. Um, and they both end up having to escape, they both uh, trigger the, the alert of Red Chi- the Red Chinese Army and have to escape by a speedboat at the same time. And when they get back to shore, the guy who's got the medallion notices that there are. People watching him. So yeah. he slips Robert Stack the medallion and tells him to meet him at this other place in a couple of hours uh, and then disappears. And so Robert Stack. Um, wow. And, and that kind of, that begins it. And then Robert Stack is kind of like, and he finds out, you find out the medallion is like, uh, leads you to um, this um, uh, treasure of this dead uh, Chinese emperor. And uh, there's a, a Chinese Tong are interested, as well as uh, this um, this guy who runs like a gambling establishment. It sounds like a modern film. And plus, yeah, <laughs> plus the, the 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 corrupt police chief mm. knows about it, and so they're all kind of coming after Robert Stack. Elka Summer turns up. She turns out to have been married to the the guy who found the medallion, and she wants it. Yeah, right. And uh, so Robert Stack is kind of caught in between all of these things, and it's like it's this. Great kind of rip snorting adventure, very very light on plot, but a lot of fun to watch. And Robert Stack, he's got that. It's very much that James Bond type thing where any woman that comes across him, he just figures must want to make out with him. They clearly do not in this film. It's very un PC. If there was ever a recommendation to see any movie, rip snorting is it. If yeah. you ever say something is rip snorting, <laughs> there is your reason well, to see it. The, my favorite part is like. Uh, Listen to this quote. This is the quote from Robert Stack. (laughs) And this is on the Wikipedia page. I found it hilarious. Stack called it a daring do hidden treasure stinker, (laughs) which he did for the money. And because he admired Hills born free, he was obviously more at home with lions, said Stack. (laughs) I actually, I think that's quite, that's an unfair uh, (laughs) summarization of the film. I find it odd when actors come out sledging films when not considering what went into making them. Chances are he just thought he looked fat or something yeah, stupid like that. Yeah, that's what I mean, though. A down. lot of people put a lot of things, you know, but, careers yeah. on the line with these things. But look, I, look, I found it, I did find it quite enjoyable. It, it does spend 
I'd say 80% of the film is Robert Stack trying to figure out what the fuck is going on. <laughs> yeah. 20% actually looking for the treasure. But it is extremely fast-paced. Sure. Really well shot. The soundtrack is absolutely amazing. Not only is that, that Dusty Springfield mm. banger, which they play a couple of times in the film, but the rest of the incidental music, it's all that kind of Shirley Bassey, Dusty Springfield type 60s, yep. you know, jazzy soundtrack music. It's it's fucking great. Tell you what, I reckon I can tie this movie into <coughs> Monster Festival things. Oh, yeah. So, as I said before, I had a crush on Wendy Stapleton. She did the Dusty Springfield show. I went and saw that at the Comedy Club, which was located where Cinema 10 and 11 is now of Nova. So right. I used to go up the escalators and where those newer cinemas are, where you guys screen mostly, like yeah. is 11, 10 up the ramp? Up the ramp, yeah. That used to be the Comedy Club. Yeah, right. Yeah, and it was a fantastic venue and that's where, like, it was bigger than the Comics Lounge. Right. And, yeah, and it was also, like, when it wasn't comedy night, it was cabaret. So there you go. So yeah. whenever I sit in that cinema, I think of Dusty Springfield and that's no joke. And you get a little uh, tent in your pants. That's right. I only want to be with you. Like, I think that was the name <laughs> of the show too. <laughs> and she'll try anything. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> so that leads us to, drum roll. Song? The song. <laughs> Damn right. I insisted. You said, we only play two songs A Good Movie Monday. Mm. That's the rule. And I said, Damn the rules. Because I'm talking about two films with cracker songs <laughs> related to them. And you want to play the song that we'll end the show with. I won't spoil it now. <laughs> so this show, we're having three songs. Yeah, and, and, and when I say them's the rules, <coughs> it's more in terms of like actually what we're allowed to get away with. Like, quotas. You say potato, <laughs> I say potato. Uh, but we're going to play the Dusty Springfield 1967 classic. This is a great song. It is great. I'm still disappointed that you wouldn't let me play the song uh, for the <laughs> from The Devil Rides Out, which I think is similar in style. You'll get over to it. This. You'll get over it. But you know, boy, what? is this song great. This is your radio opportunity, your moment to introduce a song. Take it away, Ben. This is The Corrupt Ones by Dusty Springfield. <laughs> Beautiful.
Makes me think of two-minute noodles. Like <laughs> <laughs> Canton. There's Oriental no, flavour noodles, mate. It makes me think of um, uh, <laughs> the old the old memories kicking in. <laughs> no, um, anything goes in uh, Temple of Doom. Temple of Doom, yeah, totally. That sound effect in uh, in that scene when the machine gun hits the gong. Yeah. That's fantastic. <laughs> that is fantastic. All right. Now, the, for the feature of our episode, um, our interview with Lewis Mandylor. This guy is pretty fun. Uh, his brand new film is a World War II treasure hunt movie, as I said. It's called Hell Hath No Fury. It comes out on Home Entertainment next week. And what I love about this one, it's got a great cast. You've got Nina Bergman, Daniel Bernhardt, who you know I love. It's also directed by Jesse V. Johnson, and he's the guy that made The Debt Collector and The Mercenary, which Lewis Mandalore is also in. Let me read you the synopsis to give you some context to the conversation, because we do kind of jump straight into it. It's the story of uh, one woman who pretty much single-handedly takes on the might of the German war machine uh, and the French resistance together. Resistance. Resistance. Um, and then there's a band of... Onions! US, a band of... Who US, by my <laughs> onions? And of US infantrymen. Um, so... She is branded um, a traitor by her countrymen. Um, her name is Marie, and she was essentially like a, a lover of a high-ranking... Renee, the uh, owner Renee. of a small <laughs> restaurant. <laughs> she was um, the lover of a high-ranking Nazi officer, um, and they get ambushed while driving through like a jungle area. Um, In I Europe? No, it's a lot... It Europe, is a is, Europe is well known for no, its jungles? It's, no, it's not... It's... it's <laughs> Fucking hell, I'm trying to think of the actual location. It's a forest. It's Yeah, but it, it has a jungle feel to it. Anyway, they get ambushed near a cemetery and... A cemetery in the middle of a jungle. Mate, this is... See, it's <laughs> this writes itself, right? <laughs> and like, you can tell I'm not scripted. I'm just trying to remember. Anyway, he gets out, leaves her in the car. He then ducks off and buries the wealth of treasure he's carrying. She gets captured. Cuts to a couple of years later. She's rescued by American troops and they say to her, look, you know, we will let you go if you help us find this treasure. Otherwise, we hand you back over to the French resistance and they can take care of you, you know. But then along comes Daniel Bernhardt to reclaim what he buried and then it's on for young and old. It's like a bit of a confrontational kind of race to get this treasure. It's pretty tense stuff, but it's fucking good. Really good. There's the flimsy fucking scattered all over the place context that you need. <laughs> Here it is. <laughs> Lewis Mandalore. And if you don't know, this is the guy that was also, you know, like I said, from my Big Fat Greek Wedding. He's um, also known as the Joey Lookalike from Friends. Yeah. The and brother he, of Costas. And he, yeah, brother of Costas. And he popped up recently in The Offer, what we're watching on well, Paramount+. That's what, oh, that's what I was going to say. I was going to wait till the end of the interview yeah. to say that what upsets me is that you asked him <laughs> what else is coming up and he did not mention The Offer. I know. I know. Anyway, here it is. <laughs> I mean, I suppose he's only in it for two minutes. Good Movie Monday is made possible with help from Kaiju Beer. Unashamedly intense Australian craft beer. Lewis, welcome to Good Movie Monday. How are you, mate? 
I'm good. Good, thank you. Glad to be here, and thanks for having me. I'm thrilled to be uh, chatting with you. And like you know, as we've discussed off mic and looking at your IMDb uh, profile, you're a busy bloody man. <laughs> Needless to say, I'm grateful for your time. Yeah, thanks, mate. I've been blessed, and um, you know, I've been at it quite a long time. And uh, in this unforgiving business, as we all know, it the, the life of the artist, so to speak, it's it's up and down. And God bless, I'm having an up. So it's really nice. It's 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 been fun and. Yeah, right on. <laughs> it's it's really good to see because like, there's something that's always struck me about you in film is that you have such a striking screen presence as far as I'm concerned. Whether it's comedy, drama, gritty action, you fit the profile every time. And um, Hell Hath No Fury is no exception. Like this is um this is a great, very unsuspecting kind of movie. And um, yeah, congratulations on it. I'm going to lead with the obligatory question of what attracted you to the the film in the first place well um the immediate response would be jesse v johnson um you know not only has he become a an incredible filmmaker and um sorry mate i'm getting bombarded with messages here in any case uh, he's a great he's, he's a dear friend and he's an incredible filmmaker and uh whenever he calls you know i'm always open to working with jesse number one and um uh, the project it was great it was the kind of the beginning of COVID and everything shut down and everyone was scared to do anything and there was just nothing going on so jesse as he is you know he's a he's a chief he's a warrior and he's like listen i want to do this covert film out in the middle of friggin nowhere ghost crew everyone signs a petition every you know we did it right and we just huddled and we just covertly made this pretty kick-ass film and the script was incredible uh, lead being the lady, uh, mm. Nina Burke built it, so it just had an appeal to me, and the character of Maitland was was incredible. So how can I say no? <laughs> yeah, totally. And Jesse um, strikes me; he's one of those filmmakers. I compare him with um, Isaac Florentine, I guess. He's one of those sort of stuntmen turned director, and you know, there's something different about those guys. Um, you've worked with him before, as you said, like Debt Collector movies, The Mercenary. Yeah. Is it different working with stuntmen turned directors than regular directors? Yeah, I would say there's there's an there's an advantage to that for sure. You know, um, some directors get it, uh, and uh, some directors, I guess, learn that that part of it. But Jesse covers all bases because the experience. So absolutely, it helps. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Um, and yeah. I yeah, and I for people that haven't seen the film, like it is a very, like you said, contained film. It's, it takes place sort of in one setting, but. He makes so much use of that one setting. It's really, really awesome. Yeah. When we when we had the screening in Los Angeles, um, I had some real avid filmmaker. I mean, I brought some good. The, the 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 crowd that night was really good. There was a lot of intelligent film buff people there, and we all said the same thing, especially on the big screen. You know, mm. you felt like you were watching an old Robert Mitchum, whatever John Wayne. You know was a throwback and it just had the look and the feel and the vibe and it, it came together big. I mean, you know, he made it look big. And if you haven't seen it, it's really worth seeing because it's it's a nice little twisty tale during that period. And and yeah. uh did, did amazing, you know, it was I was really impressed. It, it is more or less a wartime treasure hunt movie. It sees you're an American soldier holding a French national woman captive, you know, she's got ties to the Nazis and, and, and there's buried treasure that, you know, you've, that she knows where it is and you don't. It's just a really intriguing film with, like you said, twists and turns. And that woman is played by Nina Bergman and you've worked with her before on, on Doom, Annihilation. Um, I have, did, yeah. 
Did having that pre-established rapport add weight to your performances? Absolutely. I mean, when, you know, casting that role was not easy and uh, uh, I was one of the the fans, I was one of the many fans of Nina when she was up for the role. So I drove her to the read-through. We had a read-through before, you know, most of the characters were cast, you know, know, this business, you never know what's going to happen and oh, it was a (laughs) shit read-through gone <laughs> but uh, Nina smashed it and then they hired her so it, it was great and uh, it, it, it was really good to have known her beforehand yeah that helped a lot because you know it was a rough shoot man you know making films is is difficult in general and that one was it was rough especially yeah. for her absolutely um yeah when, when you have these films come along like you you make so many films and and I'm wondering how much prep time do you get for films like this when they come along? You know, sometimes none, zero. You know, the independent film world and, you know, I guess there's a certain level of, of talent and we all know it. You've got your your super big boys and it filters down. And, you know, I think um, uh, I'm at a point where sometimes it's, it's zero prep and, and, and sometimes you get average, you know, you get a month, you get a couple of weeks. But sometimes, I mean, I did a film called The Brave, in Bulgaria, it's on Netflix. It's a wonderful film with another dear friend of mine, William Kaufman. Um, he's hired me a few times as well. But the Brave, I, um, you know, I got a call on a Friday and they flew me to Bulgaria on, on Saturday, and I had to do an Albanian New Yorker who spent seventeen and a half years in Albania and the rest of his life in New York. And <laughs> oh my and god! So you know, it's rough. But I, I had time to prep for Jesse's and. Um, it was rough. It was it was it was it was one of the toughest characters I've ever had to make decisions on, to be honest. Mm, cool, very interesting. And what uh, strikes me again about this film, there's so many different elements that you can sort of pick apart and talk about. It was written by Catherine Lee McEwen, who you know wrote a fantastic script, but you don't often see war films written by women. And do you think you know that factor alone gave more gravitas to particularly Nina's character implied in the film? Oh, I would say certainly, yeah, of course, without a doubt, <laughs> yeah. I would. And, I, mean, uh, I would love to see more films, you know, written by women because I think it does add a whole new perspective. It does, does indeed. I think there's no doubt about that at all. Yeah, and uh, it, it. I mean, if you see the movie, you, you you'll see why it's just brilliant. People that haven't seen it, you know, so I'm I'm not into spoiling. So there's so much <laughs> I could say, but that relationship with her and Daniel, it's amazing, and and. And, and I hate to say it, but I, you love Daniel. You know, you're like, I love this guy. You know, you know, I won't say too much, but he loves her. Yeah. You know, and then is it about the gold? It just, it's a continuous yeah. question of, wait a minute. And, it, and it's really interesting. Yeah. And then I'm there's glad, bombs and bombs. Yeah. I'm glad you brought Daniel up because he, we can reveal he does play the Nazi in the film. Right. I've had a fascination with Daniel Bernhard for years. Over 20 years, I've loved this guy on screen. It's really great to see him making a mark on on cinema you know after all these years he's finally been prolific is he as great to work with as i want to believe he is yes and then some (laughs) he's a he's a pro he's a gentleman and he's super talented i mean that performance is i mean look at the languages he was speaking and the delivery and it was just beautiful it was it was top notch i think that's my opinion no i completely agree like i mean Way back in the uh, in the nineties, I was on board with him from the Bloodsport days onwards. Like he's just the and when you see him pop up in John Wick and movies like this, it's just so good to see. Um, I'll share something, and I hope Daniel remembers this. So I'm going to compliment him here. When we had the read through, he sat next to me. First time I've officially met him, 
And he said, it's, it's a pleasure to meet you. It's good to work with a real actor. I'm a stuntman actor, blah, blah, blah. And I remember looking at him thinking, oh, I'm not sure about that, buddy, but thank you, you know, for being so kind. And uh, to be honest with you, that guy is, is a real actor. I mean, he's a talented, talented man, as good as anyone. He's great. Yeah, I completely agree. And he's on his way. Proven it now. Look what he's doing. He's, he's smashing it. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, look, you know, I would, I'd love to chat with you all day long. Um, time is uh, of the essence. But look, what else have you got coming up? Like I said before, your IMDB page is chockers, man. Um, you, you're being pretty prolific at the moment. What have you got coming up? Um, isn't it funny? It's like, what's your favourite movie? I can't think. All right, first thing that comes to mind is a, a really nice film. I have a, a, another good friend and collaborator called Brandon Schlegel. He's an upcoming director. He's smashing it. And we just did a beautiful war film, World War II film, based loosely on a true story in Thailand, and it's Casper Van Dien, Jeff Fahey, myself, and a, a litany of other great names. I'm really proud of that. That's coming out. Um, I'm hearing rumours about Fat 3. I don't know, but I'm hearing rumours about Fat Wedding 3 coming up. That would be nice, wouldn't it? Um, yep. We shall see. Uh, yeah. And, um, yeah, with uh, my little company, Odyssey Motion Pictures, my partner and I, Mark Klebanoff, we're up to some no good and we've got some good things to uh, reveal publicly very soon. So I'm excited to share soon. Working hard over here, man. Cheers. Yeah, that, that is awesome to hear. And if I can compliment you, my Big Fat Greek Wedding is something I watch a lot with my partner. Like my wife and I love that both films. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, mate. Yeah, well, we're hoping to, to, to close the, the, that beautiful and wonderful franchise and we'll see soon. We'll get some news soon. Maybe yes, we'll see. That would be awesome. And, um, and last question, what's your favourite movie? <laughs> wow. You know, After you just those... said that, yeah. <laughs> you know how I answer that? I answer that when I ask people that. I say, okay, what movie have you seen more than any other movie in your life? So that's yeah, yeah, yeah. another one. So the immediate movies that come to mind I guess that influenced me, definitely Raging Bull, yeah. uh, Bull Hand Luke for sure, and uh, Midnight Run. I've probably seen them more than any other movies. Um, but, but hey, man, there are so many that come to mind. There are so many brilliant movies. There Will Be Blood. Wow, what a movie. Yeah. I mean, I could go on about that. Rosemary's Baby. You better cut me off, brother, because I'm going to keep... <laughs> Well, look, you know, I, I so appreciate your time. It's a pleasure to have you on our show and um, look, love your work, particularly, you know, this the deck collector stuff you've done. I really enjoy those films. I'm big into those sort of movies. Even I, I love the new Rambo, man. I fucking thought that was a great film. Uh, so just <laughs> thanks so much. Did Sorry. They, they, did they have my part in Australia? The yeah. opening? Yeah. Oh, it made it. They, yeah. they snipped it territories, but I'm glad, glad it made it. That's good. Yeah, it was. And um, I, I remember sitting in the cinemas for the, the media screening for that one. And when you came on the screen, I'm like, Fuck yes, like, awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate it, Glenn. Thanks so much, brother. Really no fun. Worries. A lot of fun. Take care of Cheers. yourself. Hope, hope to be back home soon, mate. Even though you're an Eastern boy and I'm on the other side, but uh, <laughs> I hope to one day. Cheers, mate. All right. Back to recommendations. Let's do it. All right. Um, you, you go first. Okay. Recommendations, very dangerous. Have you heard of a you guy called um, Jackie Chan? Never heard of him. <laughs> no, I'm going along with that oriental theme here. Right. All right. This is uh, a guy from Red China. Australia's, <laughs> Australia's Jackie Chan. Yeah. yeah. Well, he made a trilogy of treasure hunt movies called the Asian Hawk Trilogy. The first one was Armor of God from 1986, which at 
for a long time was the highest grossing Chinese film. I can't remember which one bumped it off the off the mantle, but it was a big deal. It was huge. I remember watching it as a kid. Bloody oath. Bloody oath. Movies. And it was the first time I'd, I'd been introduced to the idea of horny monks. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm, I'm going to talk about my connection with it as a kid um, in a minute, but it is essentially Jackie Chan's take on Indiana Jones, if you will. Uh, he plays a bounty hunter who happens to be a martial arts expert. Go figure. And he's blackmailed by a cult leader to find a mystical artifact called the Armor of God, which is uh, supposedly holds unlimited power. Very Indiana Jones-ish. Very much like the Ark of the Covenant. That's right. So, yeah. um, As I said, modern-day Indiana Jones. Crazy stunts. It's freaking fun. Um, But I wanted to talk about this one because I wanted to talk about the whole trilogy. Like, So, I'm going to kind of include the whole trilogy as my recommendation here. Because when we were teenagers, we were watching Jackie Chan movies like Dragon Lord and Police Story on loop. So, we were very... Twin Dragons. We were very aware of who this guy was. But Armor of God is one I hadn't seen. I saw Operation Condor first, which was part two. Now, the interesting thing about this and why there's confusion at that time was because it was released into cinemas as Operation Condor. It was not attached as a sequel in title when they were promoting it. It was just the new Jackie Chan movie, Operation Condor. Probably by a different distributor. Yeah, that's right. Um, So when it got released in America, though, the Weinstein Company bought it and they released it first and then they released Armor of God as the sequel. Like Mad Max. Yeah. Yes, exactly. So they released Operation what was it? Hang on, how did it work? It was No, they released <laughs> Armor of God, Operation Condor Two, I think is how they called it. Something like that. It was very right. confusing at the time. See, I'm confused now. It's like I'm a prequel. About it. They released it as a prequel it's the rather whole than missing uh, in action thing. Number yeah. one and two got swapped around. <laughs> anyway, it's fucked up. I- I'm confused. <laughs> What's the movie about, Glenn? <laughs> well, Operation Condor is basically a, it's a retread of the first one, isn't it? Like it's a, it's essentially the same kind of. Thing. I I don't remember. All I remember I remember Armor of the Armor of God. Yep. I don't remember the other two. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Well, it's interesting, like because I the the third one is called Chinese Zodiac, and that was released more recently. That's like a 2013 film, I think. So there's a big gap between them. Um, a lot of people think it's a pretty shit movie, Chinese Zodiac. I got the Blu-ray, watched it fairly recently, and I think it's fun. It's a throwback. It's full of antics. I think it's probably just Jackie Chan has made so many movies at this point in time that one is as the same as you know the next. Yeah. And so when the first two came along, they were still fresh, original, you know, because they were kung fu kind of movies and they were put into an American kind of world. I have to say, look, that's that's the kind of the funny thing about Jackie Chan movies is when they first came out, they were a revelation. Yeah. But then after, like, if you watch a lot of them in a row, mm. and then you kind of, <clears throat> you think about Arnie and Sylvester Stallone and the Western kind of action heroes, after a while of watching Jackie Chan movies, you're kind of like, can't you just end this fight in one punch? <laughs> can't you just, like, you punch that guy in the face and then you move on to the next guy? Not 30 rounds with the same two guys. It's true, but that's... that's, that's but it's all also pre- part of it. That's a precursor to the bloopers at the end, right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, 100%. I stand corrected. And like the funny thing about this, like in Indiana Jones, he's a globetrotter. He goes all around the world in a plane. But Jackie Chan in these movies too just goes from one country to the next, but it's much more jarring. Like he's just there and then he's there and then he's there. It's not You don't get a map across the screen as he's travelling yeah. and shit like that. Um, no look, Carmen Sandiego-like tricks. Yeah, look, I'm not even going to get bogged down into plot. Just check it out. Look, yeah, I, feel, I do actually. Look, I feel like I'm robbing. Up. I'm robbing people when I just glaze over it like that. But these well, are you, just fun movies to watch. Yeah. Have you got them on Blu-ray? I've got one on Blu-ray, and the other two on DVD. So Chinese Zodiac on Blu-ray. 
And you have to, can I borrow them? You can. Because I do want to see them now. Yeah, you now certainly you're can. About them, I want to see them. And the thing is, right, you know, of course, Armor of God and Operation Condor are the better two movies, probably in that order. However, neither of them have cameos from Kenny G and Chinese Zodiac does. <laughs> well, that's a win in my book. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Fuck it. I'll throw it to the boneheads. Yeah. Welcome to Bonehead Weekly Fun Size. This week, we're talking about treasure hunt pictures. And we may actually make a full episode out of this, gentlemen. There's some actually pretty good treasure hunting pictures out there. What do you all think? Yeah, I mean, yeah. you know, it's... it's uh, I got nothing. Go ahead, Chad. No, <laughs> yeah, first. no, there, there are plenty. Of, uh, plenty. Uh, so it is specifically wartime treasure films that we were talking about. Um, and I want to talk about one of my favorites that Joe groaned about in a previous episode. Uh, but I still legitimately love Kelly's Heroes with Clint Eastwood, Don Rickles. I don't remember. Kelly Savalas. I might have. Yeah, you groaned. Donald you Sutherland. Groaned about everything. I'm not a groaner, so I and do the, like that. And one of the better actors in the entire list that I just mentioned, Gavin McLeod. Huh. Um, but no, it's about the, these uh, U.S. soldiers uh, sneaking across enemy lines looking for Nazi treasure, as most treasure hunt films, wartime treasure hunt films involve. Uh, no, I just legitimately love this film. I love uh, specific, specifically, of course, Don Rickles. Any movie with Don Rickles as one of the leads automatically has my interest. And uh, it also has one of the best movie posters I have seen in the history of cinema, just because Don Rickles is holding a machine gun. <laughs> you know, oddly enough, oddly enough, Chad, it's funny that you went with Kelly's Heroes because my treasure hunt film also stars somebody that's in uh, Kelly's Heroes. The, the you know what's better than Nazi gold? Federate gold. The good, the bad, and the ugly. You son of a bitch. That wasn't one I had lined up. It was, Is that a wartime film? Yeah, they get caught the by the War. Confederates. Or actually, they okay. get caught by the Union and they're pretending to be Confederates yeah. because they have the dirt all over them. Have yeah. you not seen the film? I have. I just never. It, yeah, 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 they're after right. Confederate gold. I just never viewed it. I, yeah, it's you're right. It is. <laughs> Why don't I'm you not, watch a movie and get back to us, Chad? It took a minute. Yeah, I mean, it's just wartime. I'm like, wait, no, that's... They're like pictures right. that move, Chad. You're right. I am sorry. I'm an idiot. As this movie, as as this as this podcast constantly remembers me, <laughs> as it proves, I mean. See, I can't oh, even talk. I took my damn... All right. Well, mine was going on during the Contra Iran. Uh, so I don't... There's All right. They took mine. So the only other... I'm going to talk about Romancing the Stone. Hold on. I took it. I said Kelly's Heroes. I didn't even bring that one up. <laughs> I He took it. I just said he took it. No, you said they took it. They. they this has been bonehead fun they. size. He is the effing they of my life. So <laughs> I, I prefer he, him. Oh, Jesus Christ. Anyways, it's directed by Robert Zemeckis. And the story behind it is, is the screenwriter, who I don't have the name pulled up because I was going to do the good, the bad, the ugly, was a waitress. And she somehow got part of her script to Michael Douglas. And it ended up one of those tales. Actually, she kind of died right after. And it's actually kind of a sad story. But but her movie did get made. And we have to talk about this because this just came out this week. Romance the original uh, Kathleen Turner was uh, was not the original choice for that film. It was Deborah Winger who lost the role because she bit Michael Douglas. <laughs> and I did the same. I didn't actually hear the story. This is good. And actually, she doesn't talk about it in her book. I read Kathleen Turner's book on acting. Well, there's always been this whole. There's always been a rumor that Deborah Winger bit Michael Douglas, and he confirmed it this week that he went to he went um, to meet with her for the role, and things were going swimmingly, and then afterwards. 
they were joking and then she some for some reason leaned over and bit him and actually broke skin and caused him to bleed and he looked at Zemeckis and said we cannot hire this woman well there you go people I don't you could have also won three kings Joe good night everybody also also Michael Douglas I mean, Robert Zemeckis got fired from Cocoon over this movie. The test audiences did not like it. They had to redo the ending. He was the one that fixed it, and the studio got pissed when they screened it and fired him from Cocoon. Ron Howard ended up with that job. This has been Bonehead Weekly Fun Funsies. Good Movie Monday is made possible with the support of people like Viewdorium. Viewdorium is a streaming platform for rare and obscure movies, and it's absolutely free. They also have a catalogue full of kids' flicks, classic movies, foreign cinema, and more. Visit Vulorium.com today to see what it's all about. Consonant Chad? <laughs> Kelly's Heroes is the movie that I want to talk about. You scared me a little bit then. Consonant? <laughs> this came from nowhere. It came from nowhere? <laughs> That's what happens when you let me come in from a segment. <laughs> All, all hell done broke loose. Did he steal your thunder? He stole, he bigfooted me. He stole my thunder. Like bigfoot, this fucking bigfoot. <clears throat> Haven't you ever heard that term before? No. Being oh, bigfooted. It's elusive, right? No, I don't know. What the fuck? No, it's because you've got a big foot. You stood on my foot and uh, took the thing that, like, so if, if somebody's, if you're about to say something, like, just say you've got a great idea. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, somebody, me. somebody stands on your foot and stops you from speaking for a second, and then they say your idea and get the credit. They just bigfoot. Well, that you. makes sense, but I think a Sasquatch. Yeah. <laughs> I hope that's the correct definition. That's what, that's what I've always used bigfooted as. Well, we learn something every day. It could be wrong. And I'm going to start writing yeah. this in my articles, and then this someone a, will pull me out and go, that's not a fucking thing. Is that, that's what Ben told me. Right. Ben just told me with confidence. <laughs> and really, that's all Ben is fake, misguided confidence. All right, Mr. Bigfoot. What uh, so I'm going to talk about Kelly's Heroes. Mm. 1970. Yep. Cracker. Classic. Classic <laughs> cinema. Classic, as the French would say. Uh, war film. Mm-hmm. Talk about Nazi gold. <laughs> uh, so this was directed by Brian G. Hutton. The man who was an actor, funnily enough, before he became a director. He directed... And other cl- all his other movies are classics for the most part, but these big ones, Where Eagles Dare, fuck, that's a good movie. Mm-hmm. High Road to China, another fantastic movie, though, a better book. Uh, and Computer Game, I will say. The Computer Game is awesome. Uh, and he's the one that did that movie, Soul Madrid, right. which I really ha- want to see. Mm-hmm. Um, stars Clint Eastwood uh, as a kind of the leader of a ragtag group of. Uh, like lower ranked army guys who are kind of, you know, they're stuck in, they're stuck in Europe somewhere waiting for the push and they're sick of dealing with their idiot officers. Like there is a big anti-authoritarian theme running through this film. Mm -hmm. Clint Eastwood at one point was an officer, but some idiot at high command uh, told them to go and take the wrong hill and they ended up wiping out a bunch of allies. <laughs> the head honcho wasn't going to take the blame. Clint Eastwood had to and was demoted down to a private or mm-hmm. a, whatever they are, corporal or whatever he is. But there, the movie starts with them in this small little town where they've, they've captured this, uh, this German uh, major mm-hmm. who's like, a, like obviously like a bookworm. He's like an accountant for the Third Reich. And he lets slip, like Clint Eastwood gets him drunk and he kind of talks it like lets slip that the German high command have hidden all this 
looted gold in this little village 30 miles behind enemy lines. And so Clint Eastwood like basically recruits, assembles this team yep. to go in and reclaim this gold. And he doesn't like all the officers and stuff are completely oblivious because they're all a bunch of like rich, rich kid idiots. Uh, and there's so there's so in this te- it's a it's a it's a like a team to die for. Yep. So it's Clint Eastwood, it's Telly Savalas, it's uh, Donald Sutherland, amazing. It's Gavin McLeod, the captain, Captain Stubing from the Love Boat, Stuart Margolin Oof. from the Rockford Files, Harry Dean Stanton, uh, Len Lesser, aka Uncle Leo from Seinfeld. Uh, it's like this amazing. It's the Robert Altman of war films, <laughs> and they're oh. ju- like they're just the people that you've that you've. He did I, I figure you, you're going to recognize their names. The the troop is much bigger. Yeah. it's fucking amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's this amazing group, and Carol o- is a great. Bit. Carol O'Connor is like the general, and he's super upset that he's actually upset that they're getting nowhere that they can't advance. Yeah. But then he starts getting all these radio reports of somebody is just breaking through the German lines. And he's making straight for this. This he doesn't know what's going on. He just goes, "I just need to be in charge of these people." Like, yeah. So he's all like super excited and kind of goes after them. It's a great, great movie. It's a lot of fun. It has once again, as I think I mentioned earlier in the show, <laughs> it does have a fucking banger of an opening theme song uh, <laughs> by the Mike Curb Congregation called "Burning Bridges." It's a great song. I highly recommend that you. Uh, jump on YouTube after you finish this show and listen to the real version. But we do have a surprise for you. Not so much of a surprise because I spoiled it earlier. But we are going to play the theme song. But we're going to do you the ultimate disservice and play you the amazing Clint Eastwood cover of Burning Bridges. This is something else. It is amazing. Listen, listen, it's great. Oh, the bird and the 
You know, they, they, you just can't make many Nazi movies anymore, right? And this is what I'm fascinated with because, it, like it is, it's very hard to make a Nazi film in today's work culture. Um, you can't say the word, you can't show the symbols. And yet, movies like Kelly's Heroes were made closer to the war by the people who were affected directly by the Nazis and yeah. they could still have fun with this stuff. You know, what, what have we come through, man? Yeah. I don't know. You know, I just, yeah, I wish that we could have more Kelly's Heroes. But that things, was, we you know. always used to joke that the beauty of the Nazis mm. were that didn't matter what the political climate was now, yeah. Nazis are the perfect villain. Like, you can slaughter them yep. and you don't have to feel bad for That's killing right. Nazis. Exactly right. You, you don't have to worry about, you know, like, remember when uh, tomorrow when the war began and they had to. Surgically, so they had to digitally re uh, remove all of the the flags on the uniforms of the invading because yeah. it was a, this Asian army, and then they yeah. went, "Hang on a second, because I think it was supposed to be China. Who else really would it be? Yeah, yeah. They went, "Hang on, we want this movie to do well in China. Let's just make it generic Asian." I just find that these, you know, history is being rewritten by the people who were furthest away from it. You know yeah. what I mean? And that sucks. So yeah. Filmmakers out there, make more of these movies. <laughs> Nazi, heroes. Nazis are the perfect bad guys. Can't yeah. go wrong with Nazi bad guys. That's right. All right. Well, we're in the um, final moments of the show, mate. So, Treasure Hunt movies, it can't be the loot that always drew the imagination or captured the imagination of kids. It had to be the adventure. And um, Yeah, totally. It's the, and the charismatic people yep. with the willpower Let's to do what it takes. Yep. I said at the start of the show, obviously Goonies and Indiana Jones informed our generation. I don't think there's many films that rivaled them at the time. Maybe Romance in the Stone to a slightly lesser degree. But those those Alan Quatermain ones were pretty fun from canon. Yes. All those copycat Indiana Jones treasure hunt movies were fucking great. Well, because, Cheap and tacky. Well they were but they were funny. Yeah, totally. Like that you know, I remember I remember as a kid they had that the, in the trailer, I'm pretty sure, when they're beating the old man, when it's, I think, Herbert Lom yep. is beating the old guy and he's like, I've got three words for you. Two words for you. Talk or die. And he's like, that's three words. It's <laughs> well, such a good bit. When I watched those Richard Chamberlain, Alan Quatermain movies, right, as a kid, they were as good as Indiana Jones to me. Like, I was so, 100%. so invested in the adventure. And it's not until you get old that you realize they are fast, in, you know, inferior. Yeah. But that just makes me think, when you're a kid, the adventure's all that matters. It's Herbert Lom, John Rhys-Davies are the bad guys, Sharon Stone is the love interest, yep. Richard Chamberlain, who at the time would have been huge from the Thornbird. So yeah. he was as big as Harrison Ford in like yep. 10-year-old Ben's mind. That's right. And do you remember too, um, because Tom Selleck missed the role of Indiana Jones, he went and made High Road to China. Yes, which, which is not quite a treasure hunt movie, but he's he's looking for a woman, so yeah, you know, or a kidnapped father or something like that. No, 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 it's yeah, it's uh, yeah, he's hired by the by um, 
this woman, Betsy Russell. Yeah. I'm pretty sure it's Betsy. Not Betsy Russell. Betsy. It's the one from Common. 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 So, nothing in common, that Tom Hanks movie. I can't remember what her name is now. I'm sure it's Betsy but that's right. Yep. But anyway, he hired by her to find her father who's been kidnapped Correct. by this Chinese warlord. Yeah, yeah. So um, it's still a hunt movie. And the same with, um, like, I'm going to reel off a few names of titles here because... You know, I will say, though, just, yeah. just quickly, while we're talking about High Road of China, because I, I, I do love it. I, you mentioned before, I love the computer games even better. Yeah. But in the book, it's... they She, she hires... She's this, like, she's an heiress. Yeah. She hires this guy who's like a World War II. The Tom Selleck character is like a World War II ace. Yeah. But the, she also hires like the Red Baron, mm-hmm. a German will like, and so three of them, mm-hmm. like they each have their own biplane. Yep. And they fly in to rescue the father and they take on, it's like this great, it's a great adventure book. Like yeah, the yeah. book is fantastic. Like it definitely deserves, it deserves another version of the film, but made closer to the book another amazing underrated one from the 80s was uh nathan hayes which in some places was called savage islands with um tommy lee jones and the guy from caddyshack i can never remember his name you know the young yeah, main danny, caddy- danny noonan from yeah caddyshack. that's right that's a good one that was written by john hughes and all shot in the pacific yeah well that's the, well, uh was it shot in the pacific yeah yeah it's got a carbon copy scene from indiana jones and temple of doom you know the famous bridge scene where any Chops it down when all yeah. the bad guys are on it. The exact same scene, almost verbatim, happens in Nate and Hayes, and those films came out at the same time. So which one copied which? One of them had to have copied the other because they are so identical. Wasn't that directed? Was it directed by a New Zealander? Yeah, uh, or, or an Australian. Because I remember when Australian. I posted I, an Australian. <laughs> Australian. Michael O'Keefe is the is the guy from uh, yeah, yeah, the yeah. old Caddyshack. Uh, yeah. Ferdinand Fairfax right. directed it. Um, but I'm positive that when I because po- I I watched it for the first time on VHS, yeah, yeah. but r- like recently, mm-hmm. and I posted it on my Instagram, and his daughter commented, "Wow, saying hey, thanks for remembering my one dad. of my father's films." Amazing. Or I think it was just I think stepfather, stepfather. That is that is due a re-release, particularly down here because it's forgotten. Yeah, you, you mention either of those titles, and no one really knows what you're talking about. There's a, couple of, there's a couple of those kind of pirate pirate type movies that, considering what the budget must have been, yeah. like you know, even things like Roman Polanski's Pirates, yeah, and uh, <laughs> the pirate movie. <laughs> what's that other one with uh, with um, James Earl Jones? Oh, I don't know. One, he's like he's like the um, you know first mate in it. But there's a couple of them that were these pirate movies, and you're like, why is no one talking yeah. about? Like this is way before Cutthroat Island kind of ruined it. Ruined the pirate movie until Pirates, Pirates of the, of the yeah. Caribbean uh, kind of came along. It's a weird. Well, then let's let's just reel off some titles and feel free to stop on any one of them. <laughs> You're probably not going to want to stop on any Tintin, <laughs> the Spielberg film. That's a fantastic treasure hunt movie. Yes, I love Tintin. I I can't remember if that, does that one involve. I don't like Professor Calculus. Yeah, he's the yeah. one Tintin character yes, that I don't like. About that before. Um, but I think that's a that's a cracker, and they're apparently still coming up with a, a follow up. Dora the Explorer was a recent one that was fun, like it was yeah. a really kiddie version of it, but it's got that Indiana Jones sensibility to it. Well, there's that movie that um, the uh, myst- the was it the Mystery of Adele Blanc Sunk, that Luc Besson produced one, oh, which is yeah. like the Indiana Jones type thing. But yeah. she's actually she's like her father's an archaeologist, or no, her sister. That's right, her sister is she accidentally. Uh, like pierces her sister's frontal lo- 
low <laughs> lobe or something like that, or paralyzes her or something. She's looking for a cure that she hears this ancient Egyptian guy can this the the fair the uh, physicians of the pharaoh had healing powers beyond anything that we know today. So she <laughs> yeah. goes and searches. For that. that's, a, that's a great movie. Yeah, I hope the Boneheads are taking note. Yeah, they you can know? talk about all of these on their episode. That's right. And I, then I will listen to you it. You know, when you're, when you're describing that, I was thinking of Medicine Man. Like, that's kind of like they're looking for the cure for cancer. Yeah. Like, that's a good one. Uh, underrated. And Sean Connery's hairdresser, because that ponytail he's got in that is amazing. It's magnificent. Holes? Holes. That's a good treasure hunt movie. I love that film. And I, I mentioned Do you one when that was like, <laughs> like all the all the ladies like you know, of that age, <laughs> like they, and I like because that's the movie that kind of seemingly made Shia LaBeouf. Yeah, it, it was his Disney contract. He was um, one of those Disney players. Yeah, yeah. And like they were all, and I was like, I remember at the time going, because like, I was at the video store when it came out. Yeah, and that, like, that, why? Who that is Disturbia were his breakthrough roles. Um, I mentioned one a couple of weeks ago called Finding Ohana, which is essentially like a redo of The Goonies set in Hawaii. It's fantastic. It's probably a little bit too long. Isn't Ohana, isn't that the thing in Lilo and Stitch where they yeah, that means family? Yeah, so. Finding Ohana, because it is about a broken family. Right. And this treasure hunt kind of brings them together, you know, but it is good. And What yeah. about Fool's Gold? Yeah, I was going to mention that. I was going to say, like, what are some like less conventional ones? Fool's Gold, kind of conventional in terms of it's like rom commy kind of yeah. slant. But The Deep back in the day, that was a good one. The Deep, I love that. That recently got the, I think, an imprint release. Did get an imprint release, yes, sir. Jude and Law was in one called Black Sea recently, the submarine film. That's you know actually a treasure hunt movie. Yeah, right. That's a good one. I saw that at Cinema Europa when that thing existed. No, I'm gonna have to check that out because I do quite enjoy a good Jude Law film. So do I. I find him, I find him very charismatic, <laughs> and a lot more watchable than Rufus Sewell, who I always think of as the villain, <laughs> oh. the villainous Jude Law. If our show ever had a trope, there it is. There it is. <laughs> I like to bring these things up. You know, I remember watching this episode of The West Wing where. Uh, Toby Ziegler, Richard Schiff, <laughs> has to um, explain to this room of um, protesters why free trade is good. <laughs> I think we've been here before. Too. And he talks about all these these tropes, these um, methods that you use, like repetition and <laughs> uh, all these things to kind of to get people to to teach people, you know, to teach people something. You use these yeah. things to get them to remember what you're talking about and Correct. pick up on the important points. And I had a t- I had this lecturer at uni who also used to, she used, she was a design lecturer, but she used to preach this book. She used to really push this book called The Design of Everyday Things where yeah. they would talk about how intuitive design means you don't need instructions. You just figure out how to use something. Like, you know to push a door if it has only a flat panel. If it's got a handle, <laughs> 50-50, you're going to pull or push. <laughs> you know, all this kind of stuff. And it makes me, th- you know, so that's what I'm trying to do here. I get it. I get it. That's a long the way. There's a long it. way of talking about why I'm going right. to keep talking about how Rufus Sewell is the evil Jude Law. And uh, eventually it's going to become like Wikipedia is going to have an entry. Like in Jude Law's <laughs> Wikipedia page, there's right. going to say, it's going to, at the top, it's going to say, people also search for Rufus Sewell. All right. <laughs> One more before we wrap things up. The Deep. I think that was released on imprint a little while ago, right? You've mentioned this, yeah. Yeah, re- I'm repeating. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, there are some things and places. They're called Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. We are on them, Ben. Not that I would know about it, but yes, we are. <laughs> so people listening can chuck us a like and a comment. They can even share our show, pay it forward. 
Um, all of our social media pages are there for the take-in. Please engage with us. Okay. Yeah. And this time next week on TikTok, Ben will be road testing his new nipple tassels. You don't want to miss that one. I can make them twirl both clockwise and <sighs> counterclockwise. <laughs> hey, thanks, mate. That's another one in the can. Let us never speak of it again. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know you'll never listen to it again. Never. I only listen to things that I'm on and rarely then. <laughs> Muchos gracias to Jarrett, Joe, Chad and James, Guillermo. Uh, I'd like to do a shout out to Chloe. We don't hear her on the show anymore, but um, mother and movie lover extraordinaire. Um, if you miss her voice, you can catch her on the Up Late videos that we do on a Wednesday night at 10.30. So much love out to her. We have to go, Ben. Um, how about something iconic to finish the show off with? Think sweatpants, headbands, and those stretchy, springy exercise things. I'm, gonna t- I'm just going to think the Fratellis. Uh, all right, you can, you can do that. But that's more operatic, isn't and, it? And uh, <laughs> and and uh, oil slick shoes, uh, slick shoes, <laughs> <laughs> and booty and, traps, and the well, and the truffle shuffle. Oh yeah, would you next week on TikTok <laughs> the truffle <laughs> shuffle? <laughs> it needs no introduction, of course. It's from the Goonies. Uh, and speaking of Chloe, I'm going to dedicate this one to her because it's her favorite film of all time. Um, see you next week, friends.